So now we're going to read today from Esther chapter 2, and I'm going to commence to read at verse 5. Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Zer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Zechariah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. And we're going to conclude our Bible reading there at verse 7. I don't know if you have read this amazing story, but it is the one book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned, and yet God's presence and sovereignty and power are everywhere evident. Over this past few weeks, I've been speaking about little people in different places. The little girl in Syria, Naaman's wife's servant. The little boy by Galilee with his five loaves and two small fish. The little boy that was placed in the ark of bulrushes and sat beside the river Nile, of course, Moses. Today I want to speak to you about the little girl in Persia, or modern-day Iran. The little girl in Iran. And there's a very key verse in this great book, the book of Esther. Who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this? It was Dr. A.T. Pearson who once authored a book with the title, The Romance of Providence. And it recounts the life of one of Israel's most noble queens, Queen Esther. And it surely is a romance of providence, because as I've said already, the providence of God just uh, beams out from every part of this book, his overruling sovereignty, even in a very adverse society, an adverse society that is to the things of God a society that lived by a set of different moral standards. But right there, there was a people who belonged to the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The key person and personality of the book here, of course, humanly speaking, that is, is this person, Esther. Her name crops up right throughout the book, especially from chapter 2 to the end of the book. Now, we don't know all the details of her birth, but we know enough to inspire us, enough to tell us that God can take the weak, the disadvantaged, and the insignificant and make them into something instrumental, mightily instrumental, that is, for his glory. And God has always been doing that. In fact, when we come into the New Testament, It is the Apostle Paul who says that the Lord takes the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And he takes base things and things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. God can take up little people. And as I've said to you, 
my series on little people, now takes us to this very interesting nation and place on earth. And actually, as I'm speaking to you today, how often do we hear the name of this country referred to on our newscasts, the land of Iran? God had an interest in someone who lived in Iran a long time ago. Let me spend a little while today talking about a fascinating history regarding this little girl, Esther. I will probably share something more about her, maybe in the next program next week. The scene opens, as I've said, in the land of Iran, or Persia, as it was known, in the 5th century before Christ. The key character of the book is a Jewish girl. Her name? Esther. She was born of Jewish parents. Of course, that has to be because she was truly Jewish. But she was born around 500 years before the birth of Christ. She was orphaned in very early years. Now, she has no detailed family tree except the family history that we get in relationship to Mordecai, who, of course, was a close relative. In actual fact, he was her cousin. She had no royal birth, and she had no academy schooling. So the question is, how did she, a Jewess, come to be a resident in Iran, a land quite far away from the land of Israel? Well, about a hundred years previously, in 597 BC, her forebears had been taken captive from Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Israel. She enters the story as a young girl, now being cared for by her cousin Mordecai. As I've said, almost a hundred years have passed since Mordecai's great-grandfather had been taken captive, along with Zechariah, Jeconiah the king, and brought to the land of Babylon. Of course, the Babylonian empire has now passed. Darius has come to the throne, Cyrus has followed him, and it's a different empire now. It's the Medo-Persian empire now that is in control. So, as I've said, she enters the story as a young girl being cared for by her cousin Mordecai. As I was thinking about this message, you know, I was trying to recollect the circumstances and the context of her childhood years what painful childhood experiences she must have had. Sometimes when we bring on our guests for interview, I say to them, please tell me something about your childhood years, where you grew up, something about your parents perhaps. Imagine me interviewing Esther and having to listen to her story and the pain that that little girl must have felt as her mother and father had both now been deceased what experiences she must have had. Not only was she an orphan, but she was as an alien in a foreign land. This was not really the land of her people, though she had been born in it and probably had become acclimatized to it and the environment that she was growing up in, but she was of different blood. She was of Jewish blood. Many of her people had already returned to Israel, around 538 BC, when Cyrus, king of Persia, had given the Jews permission to go home again. 
You recall that that was after the 70 years of being held in captivity, which God had said he would give them and allow them to spend as a chastening for their idolatry and their disobedience to his word and his laws. Well, when Cyrus became king, he made an announcement that people who wanted to return to Israel could go back. And of course, that's another story for another day. Many of them did return. Some 50,000 had returned back to the land of Israel. But in the providence of God, her family and many others chose to remain in Iran. Now, you might wonder at that. Why was the homing instinct not strong enough to take them all back to the land of Israel? Well, many of them had become comfortable there and they didn't want to return. I'm not saying that that was how Mordecai felt, but God had a greater vision and a greater plan in view whenever he was preparing these people for his purpose in relationship to the Jewish people. You know, it's worth noting that our choices can affect generations that are yet unborn for good or indeed for evil. The choices that her forebears made not to return, and a Mordecai to stay, had consequences and eventually beneficial consequences, in actual fact, life-saving consequences for her people. But it's also true that there are people who make choices, and those choices work their way down through the succeeding generations. I look back in my life, and I have so much to thank the Lord for in the choices that my forebears made to turn their lives over to seek and follow the Lord. And as I look at my life now and look at my children and our grandchildren, I trust that the choices that we make influence their lives for good and for God. Let me ask you, what is the impact of the choices that you are making as a parent, as a grandparent, maybe even as a great-grandparent? What legacy will you leave to your following succeeding generations? Will you leave them a legacy of faith? Or will you leave them a legacy of hurt, and that is not a legacy? Will you leave them something that they will want to recall and remember? Or will you leave them something that they will wish they had never experienced and forever try to forget? So something about her history. Something else about her, and that was her name. Her Persian name was Esther, which means a star. But she had a Hebrew name, and her Hebrew name was Hadassah. Hadassah means myrtle, or it's taken from the myrtle tree. Little did her parents know that her name could become so significant in the life of her people. They never lived to see the potential of that tiny little girl, that little bundle of joy that came into their home. They never lived to see that released at a time of national crisis. Her name is significant. I'll come back to that in just a moment or two. But I'm reminded of a hymn that William Cowper wrote many years ago. It's very well known. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. The full title of the hymn, I understand, was Conflict, 
light shining out of darkness. It was written in 1773, and it was first published in 1774. Light shining out of darkness. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was working out his purpose long before Esther became part of it or even realized it. Let me now come to an application of some of the things that I've shared with you today as we come to the climax of this program. The spiritual parallels. Are there some spiritual parallels there for us in what I've said? Is our existence in the world at this time mere chance or by divine order? What is our mission in life? What is your mission in life? Are you a chance existence? A piece of flotsam on the waves of current time in the 21st century? Or is it true to say that you've been brought into the world? And yes, if you're a believer, I could maybe apply that text verse to you. You've been brought into the kingdom of God for such a time as this. There are many spiritual blessings, just a few for today's little message. We were strangers and foreigners to God before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're not going to be ever Jewish people. We're Gentile people. Unless you've been born Jewish, you can't be a Jew. But we were strangers and foreigners to God, says the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. But the glorious message of the cross is that he makes us his children, so that Jew and Gentile are made one in Christ Jesus, and we belong to him. Do you belong to Jesus? Are you a stranger to God? Do you know him? Have you come to him? Are you his child? Do you belong to Jesus? Can you say, now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Yes, we were strangers and foreigners to God. In actual fact, without him, we would be like orphans. John chapter 14 and verse 18, as the Lord Jesus Christ is about to take his leave from his disciples, he's speaking to them in the upper room discourse, as we have it in John chapter 14, 18, which I've just referred to. And he says, I will not leave you, comfortless. The word is orphans. I will not leave you desolate. I will not leave you bereaved. I will not leave you forlorn. I will not leave you helpless. Those are the words that you will find if you've got an amplified New Testament. I will not leave you comfortless. Thank God today we are not orphans because the Comforter has come. Who is the Comforter? Jesus' other self, the Holy Spirit. He has come to abide. He has come to indwell. He is the one who takes us from being strangers to being children of God. That we are no longer desolate, forlorn, bereaved, but we are comforted. We are no longer orphans, but we are adopted into the family. Yes, that's what happened to Esther. She had really been adopted by her cousin Mordecai. As Esther was, so are we. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, we have received the spirit of adoption. I remember the night that I came to Jesus Christ, that he came to me and I was born again of his spirit. 
I had the assurance in my heart that I had been accepted of Him. What was it? The spirit of adoption. I used to say prayers, but when I was converted, I prayed, and a father-son relationship was set up. God became my father. I was now his child. Yes, and we have been given a name. Thank God today for the significance of names in the Bible. Symbolic of character, a star, Esther, the star. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 says, We have become the sons of God, shining as lights in the world. Shining as lights in the world. Literally, it is stars shining out against a dark background. Are you a shining star in a dark background? Yes, we have been called to be salt and light, but we are also identified as being stars not in the great stage of the world with the uh, lights and all that and all the music, no, but a shining star for Jesus Christ. Are you shining? Hadassah, that other name that was given to her, her Hebrew name, the myrtle tree. You know, in Israel, there is a famous hospital. It's got a thousand beds. It's a 1,000-bed hospital just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and it's called Hadassah, the Hadassah Medical Center. The word Hadassah means healing, the myrtle tree, the symbol of healing, the symbol of love and care and affection. And praise God today that he can give us a ministry to people that is a healing ministry, that is a symbol of love, that is a symbol of affection, that we love, yes, we love him, but we love people, and we love those who are hurting and care for those who are dying. Yes, Christianity is known as the Hadassah movement. It has reached out to help those who are wounded and bleeding by life's highways and byways. Yes, have you got that ministry, or have you a harsh heart? an insensitive heart, a self-centered heart? Have you got a heart that breathes the love of God? This is the picture. These are some of the characteristics of the people of God that we find in type and shadow in the life of Esther, the little girl who was born in Iran. Well, I'll take up this story again uh, next week in The Will of the Lord. And I hope that that has been some help to you and some blessing and background. Remember, these things are written for our instruction.